How's working from home going for you? Remarkably Remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track, from managing your motivation, workload, and relationships, to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to gotomeetings.com slash tips. Good news, bad news to get you started here. The good news is this is a brand new VanCast to start the week, and we'll get into a new piece that Drancer has up at The Athletic, uh, an exclusive with Elias Pedersen and lots to chew on there. But uh, some bad news uh, and some sad news late last week since we last recorded Drancer. And since this is a Canucks-related uh, podcast, uh, certainly uh, our sympathies to the family of uh, Canuck forward Zach McEwen. Zach lost his father, Craig, late last week, suddenly back home in Prince Edward Island, so a little bit of shocking news to come out of the Canuck camp over the last few days. Terribly sad. Definitely our thoughts are with Zach and his family. I mean, Zach's uh, obviously a lot of fun to cover. I mean, he had a, had a tremendous season this year, but, you know, regardless of who you are, uh, losing a family member like that, um, heart goes out to the whole McEwen clan. Yeah, and a little bit of other news that uh, has just sort of broken here in the last little while as we record this is that, and not unsurprisingly, I suppose, but the American Hockey League has shut down its 2019-2020 season. There will be no more games played in the American Hockey League. Uh, the season had been on hold like the NHL season was. We know the NHL is still holding out hopes of, of continuing to play games, but uh, the trickle-down from this news is that you know these NHL teams, if and when they get up and running again, could sort of assemble a taxi squad. So the season may not be over for all American hockey leaguers. Uh, there just will be no more games played at the AHL level uh, this season. So it does beg the question, you know, if the Canucks were to keep a few guys uh, in mind, uh, I think Bro- Brogan Rafferty would certainly be near the top of the list. Maybe Michael DiPietro gets an opportunity to come up as a, a third goaltender. Anybody else you think the Canucks would be interested in bringing uh, up from the AHL if they're able to play National Hockey League games? I mean, I think they'd just sort of run with a Black Aces scenario. I mean, maybe not to the extent that you do in the playoffs, just because you probably want to limit the number of bodies in the bubble. But I think there's a couple of players like, you know, maybe Cole Lind, maybe a Cole Lind type, maybe a Jalen Chatfield or an Ashton Sautner for the for the purpose of defensive depth. Um, so n- not a huge run of bodies necessarily, I, I would think. But look, the AHL's in a really interesting place just because... You know, when we talk about the NHL coming back to, you know, sort of when we talk about the NHL wanting to come back, part of the reason is to protect their TV revenue, right? And the AHL doesn't have a ton of that. Like the AHL is an all gate league, basically. And so until you can have fans in the building, the economics uh, in the AHL, which are already really weird, right? Like we think about the AHL, like you think about when Sheldon Keefe got promoted, right? And everyone was talking about his record in the AHL. But we're also talking about an organization in the Toronto Marlies and the Toronto Maple Leafs organization that's spending three times as much on their HL roster as uh, some of the other teams in their division. So, you know, you're looking at this. We think about hockey. We think about the AHL. We think it's similar to the NHL. But the, there's a really significant difference in that one league is capped and the other is not. And so 
The AHL's economics have always been challenging. They're impossible to execute without fans in the building. And this is going to be really fascinating to see how it plays out, whether or not it's just a balance of this season thing or whether it goes beyond that. You know, you make a good point, too, when you talk about uh, the taxi squad, the Black Aces scenario, uh, but also you know, limiting the number of people that are inside this bubble. And we have spoken at length on other podcasts, like, you know, if this season is to resume, you know, Jacob Markstrom's healthy, Chris Tanev's healthy, uh, we think Josh Levo may be available to the Vancouver Canucks. Like, there's already going to be, you know, extra bodies milling about. Michael Furlan might be an option for the Canucks. We talked uh, about Michael Furlan last week with yeah. Gino. You know, so you do wonder uh, the benefits. I mean, look, Brogan Rafferty, everybody talked about him all season long, getting the call up. You know, it would benefit him just from, you know, looking, yeah, the, looking at the NHL from the inside out. And we know that they didn't call him up because they wanted him to keep playing down at the American Hockey League level. Uh, and so they would bring up a Chatfield or a Sautner or a Guillaume Brisebois. Uh, so, I mean, there is some value, I think, to getting a first look at life in the National Hockey League, even though. Rafferty played those two games at the tail end of the previous season. But, you know, people shouldn't get their hopes up somehow that if the, I mean, there's so many ifs, but if the season was to resume yeah. and if Brogan Rafferty was, you know, with the big league club, that somehow he would get plugged in. I, I mean, again, I, I think that they're going to have to balance how many bodies they want around, how many bodies they're permitted to have around, and then, you know, which guys are the ones that they want to have uh, as far as a taxi squad is concerned. Yeah, and you know, it, Jeff, it's shaping up to be such a weird news day in the wider world of sports, right? Like, we now know the Bundesliga is coming back May 15th. So players have been called back and have been in quarantine for a bit. And that league's getting started soon. Like, that's starting up a major league in a Western country. Now, Germany's done a remarkable job of this. So partly this is the result of, of that. But nonetheless, like, that's major. The Premier League looks like it might be get gearing up to get going in June. So, you know, look, soccer has some advantages over hockey. Like, players spend most of the game socially distanced as is. Yes. It's a big field. It's outdoors. Uh, doing that with no fans seems more, like, seems more straightforward than a sport like hockey where the players spend the majority of their game surrounded by sweaty equipment and like what's essentially a sweat cave uh, of a locker room, right? <laughs> like, But nonetheless, we're sort of seeing some movement on this. On the other hand, we're also seeing, and this is breaking as we record from the KHL, because of the curtailment of their season, they've decided not to award the Gagarin Cup this year. There will be no KHL champion for the 2020, uh, 2019-2020 season. So, you know, it's a really interesting dynamic where you've got a pretty severe outbreak in Moscow and that's sort of prompting uh, the cancellation of the KHL season while soccer is sort of gearing back up. And, you know, I do think it's worth keeping in mind as we hope to get to watch some hockey here in the near future uh, that there are unique challenges for hockey versus, you know, baseball and soccer and the outdoor sports that I do think are going to likely be somewhat easier to have return in a bubble that's maintained um, for long enough to get games in. Well, with no NHL games to talk about, uh, certainly Elias Pettersson is always a great discussion point. And uh, you've got a new article that's posted at The Athletic. Uh, you had a chance to sit down with him, not in the same room as you did with the Twins earlier in the season, but same sort of idea of open up Drancer's video 
sessions once again and and walking Elias Pettersson through what you have termed sort of the 11 plays that have defined his career to this point. And of course, he's just getting up and running. So uh, he'll be adding to the highlight reel for, for years and years to come. Hey, before we get to the article, though, you mentioned something last week that I didn't sort of push back on, uh, but want to because it involves Elias Pettersson. And, and that was, you had mentioned you had talked to a pro scout somewhere along the line who suggested that Pettersson will win a scoring title before he is through in the NHL. And I just mm-hmm. wonder, like, do you believe that? Or when you look at what's happening across the Rockies in Alberta, and you've got guys that are essentially in his peer group in McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, uh, you know, like his work's going to be cut out for him. And, and I'm not going to doubt Elias Pettersson. I think I've learned that already in two years in the National Hockey League. I won't put it against him, but I, or, you know, I won't bet against him. But I do wonder if there isn't a little bit of a sort of Phil Mickelson versus Pete Tiger Woods, right? Where Mickelson has this amazing career, 40 plus wins, uh, Hall of Famer in and of himself, uh, a career that every other golfer in the world would be jealous of, and yet, you know, can't hold a candle to what Tiger ultimately uh, was able to do over his career. I mean, do you see Pedersen winning a scoring title? Well, you know, I don't know. I think, I mean, I'm, I was relaying an opinion, right? Yep. And and, a, and an exciting one. But the, look, I think the key here vis-a-vis the gentleman from Northern Alberta, right, is, you know, right now anyway, they are, they have years on him, a couple of years, right? Dreisaitl's 24 and Pedersen is 21, right? McDavid's a year younger than Dreisaitl. So, you know, there is this sort of window that will open in three years, for example, where Pedersen's 24 and smack in the middle of what we, you know, expect to be his statistical prime, while Dreisaitl is 28, you know, a UFA. I mean, who, who even knows where he goes or if he's still in Edmonton, but nonetheless, at that stage where he might be a more well-rounded two-way player, but we wouldn't expect necessarily for him to be at the same crazy scoring rates that he put up sort of earlier in his career. And that, and that you know, consistently we see guys hit that offensive peak years in the, those early 20s, Crosby, Ovechkin, on and on. Like there's a fastball that guys have as younger men that, you know, even as they continue to be elite, elite players, even as they continue to round out their game, maybe even be better winners into their later 20s, you know, that they don't sort of hit those same offensive marks. Like, there's that window where McDavid's going to be 27, Dreisaitl's going to be 28, and Pedersen's going to be 24, and smack dab in that the middle of that offensive prime. Uh, you know, a lot's going to depend, too, on team quality. A lot's going to depend on, you know, who he has to play with and how the power play is running. I mean, you need a lot going right. Uh, in order to sort of win scoring titles, right? Just like McDavid and Dreisaitl have each other. On the power play especially was a key part of what they were able to do, you know, in some of the remarkable, the crooked numbers that they were able to put this uh, put up this season. So, you know, it's a tall task. Winning a scoring race is a really rare, tr- like, it's an elite, elite accomplishment. Um, so do, you know, would I, would I bet on Pedersen doing it in the next five years? Probably not. Um, do I think there's a chance? Absolutely. And and more importantly, do people smarter than me when it comes to evaluating pro players think there's a chance? Yes. So, I mean, you know, the, look, a really, a really fun sort of topic for discussion. I, I do think those Edmonton, uh, that Edmonton twosome is, is a f- sort of feared group, but 
I also think there's these there's going to be this small window where Pedersen remains in his offensive prime after those two guys have left it. Um, if I was to sort of suggest that there's going to be a window for that to realistically occur, it starts in two, three years. Hey, I'm all for anything that motivates Elias Pettersson. We've seen that uh, when he's fired up. I mean, that you know, that's sort of at his best. And one of the clips, in fact, I think it may have been the final clip of Euro 11 was, you know, the rage fuel breakaway goal against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Mm. And, and you get into that one in detail. Uh, look, it's an audio podcast, so we don't have the benefit of the video. But uh, obviously he did and, and you did. Just from a technical standpoint, uh, like, did you send him the clips in advance, allow him to sort of jog his memory, or did you go through this in real time with him? Went through this in real time. So we, we zoomed, and I was hoping that I could share my screen, and we and then I could control and, like, stop and start as I wanted. Uh, but that didn't work. So ultimately, um, like, it was a little too laggy. So I, I ended up sending it to him, and he, he pulled out his tablet, watched it on the tablet, and then occasionally would call out times. So he'd be like, oh, 1022 this, right? And, uh, and on and on. But look, we ended up chatting for 70 minutes. Um, it was a lot of fun. Like it was a lot of fun to go through. These are always really fun to go through. And, you know, I put in a lot of work beforehand too, talking to coaches and taking notes and and on and on. And I think that that tends to show through. Like I tend to think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of able to pick at things that I personally wouldn't be able to pick at without doing that level of homework. Um, certainly that I'm not able to pick at in a locker room in real time. And, uh, and I, you know, I think he had fun with it. So that sort of made it. And, you know, hearing him talk about sort of his roots in the game, as it were, right? Like his, the access that he had to the ice rink in Angers and on and on, um, you know, that was really fascinating for me. And, and I think it shows through, like you think about this guy who's growing up and just playing around on a rink that his dad has a key to. And, you know, what he really likes to do is these sort of lateral moves and he's, learn some from a summer school in Stockholm, but really he drills down on it just on his own, just as he figures out sort of ways to beat guys, despite not being the biggest dude. And then sort of comes up with this bread and butter technique on his edges, attacking off the off wing. And in your very first NHL game, like your very first NHL period, you get a chance in that spot, right? And just sort of tracing that uh, was something I found really exciting to go through. How did you Figure 11, like, I mean, you probably could have come up with 40 if you had wanted to, to match his jersey number, but uh, how did you you settle on 11 clips? Um, I just sort of went through and saw where I was at, and I knew, like, there were shifts that I knew I wanted to use, and there was a flow that I knew I wanted to use, so, like, I knew that I wanted something with Besser, for example, from that first season. I knew that I wanted something, I knew I wanted that Detroit shift right away. I knew that I wanted the three-on-three shift, and I knew I wanted the first goal shift. And then it was just kind of building out around it. And then by the time I'd picked all these highlights, I was like, okay, I have 11. Like, sure. <laughs> That's as good a number as any. No, I mean, you're right. And, and, and as I said, like, I mean, already in his brief career, I mean, you probably could have got uh, well up into the 20s, if not higher. Uh, what I liked about the article, though, is it's not all from his time with the Canucks. He sort of warm us up with... You know, the Wayback Machine, uh, in fact, one of them, I think the first one, he was 16 years old. Yeah, 16 in high school. He played a game earlier that day. Um, <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> I know. And when he just destroys them, like, it's crazy. But you know what? That's a pretty classic sort of thing for, um, for a, like, NHL-bound player at the, at the age of 16 playing against their peers, right? It's just, like, comical dominance, right? 
Um, and he even admit, he's just like, it looks a little silly. And I'm like, yeah, but look, you're doing this thing that you do again on your first NHL goal five, four years later. Like, where did you learn this? What the hell? How are you able to pull off the same move that you were doing at 16 to weave through an entire team as you were doing to beat, you know, Mike Smith and the Flames in, in your in your first NHL game four years later? Like, it's so nuts to see how some of the things that he was doing that were special even before he was in, on NHL radars in a big way, right? As sort of, um, you know, in his birth year, like even before that had occurred, like, the things that he's still doing today that wow Vancouver crowds were evident in his game at 16. And I, I just find that fascinating. Well, and I have to thank you because, you know, I, I like to believe that, uh, you know, we're never too old to, to learn. And, you know, over the years here, like I've always seen the names of Swedish teams and cities, you know, in print and you think you know how they're pronounced and, Mm-hmm. Vekwa, where he played, like I, it looks like Vakcho, yeah. but you know, Vekwa. Uh, it took me a while to know that it was Linchoping. It almost sounds like there's right. a CH in the middle of, you know, it's not Linkoping. Um, and I always thought it was Skaleftia, but as you point out in this, it's not pronounced Skaleftia. Yes, no, it's Heleftia or Holleftia. Yes. Um, which I'm sure I'm butchering still, but, um, but yeah, no, I appreciated that. He, uh, corrected me. And then, you know, my editor lost the line where I talk about how Petey goes on to just doing the play by play while, and like, he's like halfway through his first sentence being like, so this is a two on one and I'm da da da. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> and I originally had a sentence in that captured that, like, I finished my sentence and, like, thanked him, but he was, like, well ahead of me already. Um, just because, you know, it's one of those things where you listen to back to the transcript and, like, there's things that are funny that you didn't think were funny in the moment. Like, but when I heard that back, I was laughing. I was just like, oh, my God, I'm such a moron. Um, so, uh, no, look, it was a fun conversation. He was super game. Um, and and that's what's key, right? Like, that's what makes these pieces work. And uh, And it was a lot of fun to put together. Yeah, no, and it reads well, and, and people should check it out, because, again, we don't have the video to do it justice, so you sort of have to see these plays in question as he walks you through it. And, you know, I guess with all good, if not great players, like, their attention to detail, you see it on the ice, you see the work habits, but their recall, like, that's what jumps out. I mean, it jumped out with me when, you know, you walk the Twins through plays that were 10 years old, and it was like they were living it again in the moment, and I sort of got that same feel here, like just the ability to process all of these plays, and I know that the video jogs their memory and brings it back, but, you know, as I read his quotes in your piece, like, it's so evident that he remembers, like, all these little minor details that obviously uh, weren't so minor that went into, you know, leading him into the play in question. Yeah, what's been fun about doing these now on two occasions is that the players themselves remember them and have pet names for them. Right. So it's like, (laughs) I don't really have to title too many of them. Um, because you know, the, the, the Vegas thing comes up and he's like, Oh, the, the punch goal, right? Like he thinks he, he thinks of it as punching the puck, right. right? As opposed to poking the puck, which is a very European formulation. Right. And, uh, so he's like, Oh, the punch goal, right. Or the, the Quinn Hughes thing comes up and he's like, Oh, this was the shift. 
And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> we'll call it that, you know, or um, uh, there was one other one that he had. But like uh, most of the, oh, the bank pass. Oh, yeah, the bank pass. I, I also loved that he'd seen the Sedin twin highlight before that goal. Like I couldn't yep. believe that one. And and I liked that he skated down the rink, you know, toward Brock and was just thinking, oh, that's going to I'm going to see that tomorrow. Like, I love that. That's so funny. And uh, and, and you know, I think Petey has, I think, grown a lot more comfortable in the media. Like when I was first coming to Vancouver, I remember people telling me, like, this guy's a tough one to break down. Like Jason put in all this work and, and on and on. And, and I think that he did. I mean, clearly, Jason got remarkable stuff from him in that first year. But uh, not denigrating that so much as I, I thought this was going to be a difficult relationship to sort of hone, but I think it was a lot easier this year than it was the first year. I'd be curious to hear sort of your thoughts on how his sort of demeanor and comfort level changed year over year, because from my experience and from what I observed in year two, it seemed a lot different than what I'd sort of been led to expect before I took the job. Right, and I think it speaks to a guy that gets it. He knows his role in Vancouver. He knows that the attention isn't going away anytime soon, and I gave him a ton of credit because... Uh, I think like a lot of us, you know, in that first year, there was this delicate dance and, you know, a lot of people's takeaway was the death stare when he was asked about, you know, do you want to go back to Sweden? And and that stuck with him and, you know, it was a dumb question and he kind of let the questioner know, but the takeaway seemed to be like, oh, if he doesn't like you, he's going to give you the death stare and then everybody's got to be on guard. They don't want to get the death stare, you know, and like, I think he realized, probably with some help from the Canucks Media Relations Department, that, look, over the long haul, that that's just, it's not going to work for you. It's not going to work for the media either. And you don't want that to be, you know, sort of the nature of your relationship as everybody's uh, on tiptoes worrying about getting the death stare. And I think he put in some effort, like he does on the ice, I think, behind the scenes, uh, because he was far more agreeable in year two. And I think it just speaks to a comfort level for him. I think it speaks to a, a smart young guy that, again, kind of gets his role and knows that he's going to be, uh, you know, there day in, day out. We're going to be in his face with cameras and microphones and notepads and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, he took it up upon himself to just kind of, I think, broaden his horizons. And no, I, I think throughout the second year, I mean, yeah, I still got my when I tried to ask him about other players. But <laughs> like, but he was having he was having he was having your leg there. Like he was kidding with you. No, I, I got that, but you know <laughs> but it was still doesn't like it. Right. That, <laughs> still doesn't, no, that was he and I learned, wanna, yeah. Like I did it the first time and he didn't want to go down that road. When I tried it the second time, he had some fun with it, but he also made it evidently clear, like don't try it a third time. Like, I'm not going to give you what you want, <laughs> <Did> right? <he? laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, um, no, and it was fun. It was all in good fun. Like, And, and I, I love that. I, I, there's confidence in him that, you know, I, I don't think he had the confidence to sort of joke around. And he didn't know any of us in the first year. Like, it was a huge learning uh, right. experiment for him in so many ways. And so I think he just processed all the information of year one. And uh, no, it was a lot of fun. So I'm not surprised that... I mean, also the fact that he's got nothing but time on his hands right now, uh, given the global right. situation, that it, the timing was right for you to to get at him to do something like this. And I think, too, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, it's not just goals, which I think was important to sort of demonstrate the well-roundedness of his game already two years into his NHL career. Yeah, and... That maturity stands out so significantly in his overall game. Like, and, and you know, the 
that Red Wings shift, which I knew I wanted to include immediately, right? Like watching it again and then showing it to some coaches. And, you know, I remember my big takeaway in the armies that night and in general was the sweeping poke check to deny the two-on-one, right? Break up the Mantha Bertuzzi play. But what stood out more to the coaches was that the next way down the ice, he actually plays a four-check too aggressively as an F3. And nonetheless... On the next path down, not next way down the ice, partial change, fourth liner on his wing, he passes off and and drives the net, right? And and I had a coach who was like, no one wants to drive the net. You know, like, this is just disciplined hockey. Like, this is just unselfish, right? Average 21-year-old didn't play the game before trying to send a message. Like, they're going to try and do too much. Like, this is what you want from a guy. And all of a sudden, you know, all those times that Green tells us, for example, that he gets it, sort of begin to make more sense, right? It's like, even in the context of, you know, Maddie didn't play the last eight minutes, finally out with a lead against a top line, makes a great defensive play on one end, makes a a too aggressive forecheck at the other end, and then the next time down, dishes off to a fourth line winger and drives the net to make space for that winger. Just like, does the right thing. Simple, keep it, you know, sort of make the mature play, even as a 21-year-old. You know, I think that sort of combo confluence of events like for me that just says a lot about who he is as a player what his priorities are as a team player um and and you know part of why i've had fun sort of getting to know and covering him well again in this uh, stoppage that we all find ourselves in right now like you know it hasn't been that long since we've had a chance to watch elias petterson but just reading through the piece and watching those videos again and it's like damn like, it's going to be fun for the next bunch of years to watch this guy grow and continue to get better and to build on these types of plays that are pretty unique. I mean, if they were easy, every guy in the league would be doing them. They're not. And so uh, it just kind of took me back to a, a simpler time, Drancer, when they were actually playing yes. games and we could all rave about the performance of Elias Pettersson. Oh, hopefully we'll get back there someday. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, we'll see about that. Uh, we talked yeah. about uh, some of those other leagues, and I know baseball, the ball seems to be uh, moving a little bit uh, towards uh, a return to play date there. So we'll see. I mean, we keep saying that one of these weeks, they're going to have to make some decisions, and we'll see if, in fact, it is this week. All right. Let's finish up with the uh, name Matt Canuck. I had you with Ryan Stanton the other day. It was a little sloppier than I wanted, but uh, we got to the bottom of it. Uh, but you're the man in control of the board here today. I'm really excited about this one, J-Pat. Okay. Okay, ready? Yep. On February 25th, 2003, in a legendary performance for the West Coast Express, Marcus Naslund became the fourth Canuck skater since the 1979-1980 season to go off for six points in a single game. The other three, by the way, are Lyndon, Patrick Sundstrom, and Cliff Ronnie. Okay. That night, the Canucks defeated the Thrashers 8-0. In the losing locker room after the game, this future Canuck would have checked a score sheet and seen that he played the fewest minutes of any Thrasher skater that evening. Oh, uh, Jeff Cowan. Oh, you... Oh, you're the worst. Come on. Yep, well done. That's it? Right off the hop? Right off the hop. I'm so upset. I should have done my... Here's my next clue, too, because it's such a good clue. Oh, I'm so mad at you, J-Pat. Here's clue number two. 
This player is the only forward in the salary cap era to appear in more than 45 games for the Canucks in a single season while recording one or fewer points. I should have started with that. I knew that number two, one had too many details. Ah, I'm well, so mad at myself. They're just... I mean, there's very few. He might be the only former Thrasher to play for the Canucks. Right. Um, no, no, no. Mike Weaver was also on that team. Ah, Mike. Good old Mike Weaver. I thought I had a good false positive, so I thought, like... I don't know. I'm just impressed. I'm just <laughs> impressed that you knew that Jeff Cowan was a thrasher. Like, my God. Um, well done. Well done. So clue number two, though, I was really proud of. And then clue number three was just filled with barbarian and bra type references <laughs> okay. to sort of give it away. Yeah. So it was with a Visigoth worthy beard. This strapping player who principally was a supporting piece hoarded goals over an electric four game stretch in March of 2007, scoring six goals and earning cult hero status. So that was the gimme. But like. Man, I was really excited. I, well done. Well, Good job, J-Pat. Maybe I, I, I doff my cap to you, sir. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, maybe I was feeling Jeff Cowan because I, I flipped on the tube the other day and, and that super long overtime game against Dallas was on TV. And so like I right. saw him not that long ago. Um, and it's funny. Like I, I, I think we've talked about this. Like I don't have a ton of interest in the Canucks and the Blackhawks in 2011. Like I just... I. You know, there's been saturation, and you've done terrific work. I'm not here to knock the work that's been done around it, but I just feel like enough sort of there. And so I know that they've replayed that entire series recently. I think it's done now. But mm-hmm. when I turned on the TV, unknowingly, it was, you know, the fourth overtime of the Canucks and the Stars. And I thought, like, damn, I haven't watched this in a while. So, like, I settled in, and, you know, you know the outcome. But it, it's just a... And you settle in for that game. Yeah. And Louis Erickson yeah. playing for the Stars, among other players. Um, you know, I, I just get a kick out of, <laughs> you know, some of the throwback names. And Jeff Cowan obviously was one of them. Bullis is out there. Uh, you know, Taylor Pyatt was riding shotgun with the Twins then. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I saw, I had my Jeff Cowan fill uh, not that long ago. So maybe I was just Well, now you have all three points. My goodness. J-Pat. <laughs> I thought that that was, I was like, that that question had so much information to throw you off the scent and you're just laser focused on the answer well done three points for you sir i'm in, I'm in real trouble here i don't <laughs> remember what the score is but whatever it is i know i'm in real trouble hey speaking of the score uh has the stanley cup been awarded on earth too like i kind of lost track once the canucks got bounced by vegas yes yes it was uh it was um the tampa bay lightning won it on vegas ice in game six all right yeah so vegas gets Another Stanley Cup crack and another loss. On have the, they keep having the cup presented on home ice? That's uh, sorry, you're, you're burying the lead, which is that another NHL team got to celebrate winning the Stanley Cup in Vegas. Ah, yes. <laughs> really, the Stanley Cup final should just be played in, in Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. Oh, what? Who, who's not up for that? I mean, obviously home team fans, but like. What a tremendous experience that was for the Caps. You know, you you don't you you wouldn't wish it. Uh, you wouldn't wish anyone to miss on that life experience, I think. Hey, just before we run here, uh, I'm going to back away from the microphone as I say this, but Mark Messier joins the oil can with Jonathan Willis and Alan Mitchell uh, this week at The Athletic. So if you want to hear from wow. Mark Messier, uh, wow. it's a good get. Wow, they gave they gave you that to be a read on a Canucks pod? Hey, it's a good get for a podcast. God, oh, it's a tremendous get. I, I'm, I email Mark Messier every three months. <laughs> haven't heard back email me back mark <laughs> he's too busy he's on the oil he's on the oil can 
Uh, people can check that out at The Athletic. And don't forget to check out the comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. Say hello. Let us know how we're doing, what you want to hear. Uh, we thank Gino Ojik again. Got some good feedback there. People seem to enjoy Gino and uh, his stories, and that was a lot of fun uh, to have Gino on the uh, podcast as well. Don't forget to rate and subscribe The Vancast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash thevancast, you get 40% off your subscription. What uh, what do you and Harm have coming up uh, at the Athletic? Anything you want to promote here on the pod? Sure. Yeah, we've got a uh, we've got we're we're continuing with this series on rebuilding the Canucks defense. Right. Uh, that'll yep. that'll go on Friday, um, and then we've also got a quick thing. Well, not a quick thing. We, we're doing a top ten prospects list this week as well, and uh, I'm working on some other fun stuff that I think fans may be might be really interested in, especially nerdier fans. Um, but that's sort of with a more national focus, and that'll run probably tomorrow, but certainly at some point this week. 11 shifts that have defined Elias Pettersson's career. Terrific read. Good work, uh, sir. So I salute you for that. Thank you. And people can find that up at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com as well. That's going to do it for this VanCast. We'll check back in uh, middle of the week, see where we are as far as uh, return to play and whatever else news is coming down the pipe. We'll have it all for you here on The VanCast at The Athletic.